The following is a Kingfisher Media production. All of us have more in common than we have in conflict. Us versus them and me versus you won't take us as far as looking at each other and thinking, this is what I like about you. I'm your host, Alexis Erlin, and with me is AC Fisher. And today our guest is Deborah Grace. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm really excited to be here. This is going to be a fun format. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so we were just, this is what I like about you. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a fun concept. We just kind of, it's kind of a guinea pig project that we started. And, um, but people really seem to like it. And it's kind of taken on a life of its own. So, yeah. <laughs> I like Sorry. that. The guinea pig project. This is the guinea pig project. So I'm the guinea pig, I, I guess. We well, guess yeah, we're all guinea one, pigs together. Yeah, that'll be a first. My niece used to raise them, actually, guinea pigs, which is kind of weird. And then I grew up with, I had a roommate who bred them, which I thought was even more weird. So that was kind of interesting. But anyway... Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not a big, uh, I'm not a big uh, gerbil, hamster, rat, guinea pig, anything that looks like that. I'm just not into They're it. They're very emotional animals. My kids, my kids wanted those things. And I was like, no, they're dirty. And I got to clean the cage. And oh, no. Yeah. no. When I was a I was kid, if something like that crawled in the house, we'd hit it with a shoe. And that was the end of that. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. They're like little rats. And so, mm-hmm. like, you know, I was like the everyone had guinea pigs, and I was the uncool mom because they're like, "Mom, everybody has one." I'm like, "No, <laughs> not happening. What if it gets out of its cage?" And by the way, when I finally caved and we got these two guinea pigs, what did they do? They got out of their cage, and now they're in our house somewhere, <laughs> and I'm freaking out. And that was the end of the guinea pigs. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, thank you. So, what kind of animals do you like? I love dogs. Yeah. Okay. I'm a dog. Okay. I'm a dog lover. Yep. I'm a dog lover, and I love. Okay. Well, that was the the, the I, first I, test I, to see if you were a monster or not. It turns out you're, you're a good person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's one question he goes for, like almost right off the bat, with a lot of people: dogs or cats? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no cats. No cats. <laughs> no. No cats. But yeah, I like little dogs. I had a little Maltese, bless his heart. I lost him in 2012. Hmm. He, he, you know, he left us and I haven't been able to get a dog since because I loved him so yeah. much. He was a little white, fluffy Maltese. Aww. And they're such, they're little lover dogs. Those, yeah. Those dogs, uh-huh. they're just lovers. So yeah, I'm a dog lover. So I had a question for you. What made you, okay, inter- good. Yeah, what, what made you interested <laughs> in coming on this show? So, well, I think I'm at a point in my life, you know, where I've had, I've worn many hats. And I think the funniest thing to me now is that my age, that people are still so interested in me being a centerfold for Playboy and then being super successful in my business, that it became this topic of conversation. And during the pandemic, I decided to write a book. And so I wrote a book and now I'm rewriting it because I, I, I'm writing my story. And of course, when you go like my first draft, when I reread it, I was like, it's too serious and I'm funny and mm. I need yeah. to add some humor. <laughs> yeah. So I need to add some humor so people get my sense of humor and yeah. and they realize that even though these really tragic things happened, I'm not a victim. And so 
So now we're rewriting and I put it in the universe that it'll be in my hand the end of summer. And so no more stalling. It's really, it's a big, I took on a big project and writing a book is a big, it's a big project. I'm in the process myself. I I know the struggle is real. Mm -hmm. The struggle (laughs) is real. And by the way, it brought up, you know, I have to talk about traumas that I had forgotten about. And then my dreams started getting really weird Uh because, you know, you're, you're replaying a lot of these things. And, and of course at my age now to go back 50 years and try to remember, like, I'm like, was that the way it really happened? Cause you know, our minds yeah. changed the story and I've changed the story so many times to I'm all about, I can change the story, right. And make it however I want. And so I've changed a lot of stuff to make it positive throughout my life. And mm-hmm. so I, have, but now I have to go back and play it the way it, the really way it was. Uh-huh. And so that would bring up all these emotions. And yeah. so anyway, so yeah. So why am I here today? I think is a really great question. I think it's time for me to share my story. It's time for me to talk about being a playmate. You know, I, I, I never really talked about it. Once I got into the business world, I kind of left that part of my life behind. And then when people would find out, you know, of course, they all, everybody always wants to know about Playboy. And it's so funny to me because I used to, I used to downplay it and say, well, that was just a small part of my life, but really it wasn't. It was a big part of my life. And Mm -hmm. I mean, Playboy was the number one magazine in the world when I did it, you know, Mm -hmm. and And I did a year of promotions and promoting the magazine and promoting being a playmate and, and what have created, you know, was really off the charts, you know, and the platform that he provided for people to express themselves, not Uh just, not just the girls that were uh, playmates, but anybody that he interviewed. I mean, he interviewed all the greats from Malcolm X to Mm -hmm. past presidents to, Donald Trump is on the cover of my issue, you know, <laughs> to, you know, to, I mean, all of that. And so, and he really, the purpose of the magazine was not so much to show nude photos because that really was not the purpose of the magazine. The no, purpose it was classy. Was, it was, classy. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was it an was. elegant men's magazine to have men dress better and learn about wine and smoke cigars and gather and drive cool cars. And he wanted, he, cause he used to work for Esquire mm-hmm. and that's when he decided he was going to start his own publication. And when you really look at the history of Playboy and what it became uh-huh. and how he really tried to, he, even when Penthouse started and they were the more risque version and they started getting a lot of subscribers Hef was like you know what no I'm going to keep it the girl next door he didn't mm-hmm. want to change that format and so I just think the history is incredible and mm-hmm. you know I think for me in business and how that applies to me is that for a long time I thought well I don't want to talk about that because I really wanted people to take me serious yeah. in business and for some reason, I had it in my mind that people wouldn't take me seriously. But I think really the truth of the matter is when you know your shit, so to speak, when yeah. you know what mm-hmm. you're doing and you're good at it, it doesn't yeah. matter. It didn't matter. Yeah, really. It didn't matter. And I, that was my own insecurity. You know, when I when I look back, because I mean, like we were chatting just before we started recording here, I was in high school when 
uh, you were on the cover. I was obviously like in high school when you were centerfold. I took you seriously then for very different reasons. Like mm-hmm. I was just a young hormonal guy and it's like, wow, this chick is hot. Looking back now as a guy who's pushing 50, I take you seriously for a very different reason without even really knowing anything about you. So I was, I was talking to Alexis earlier today and I was saying, you know, I really envy the kind of boldness and confidence that it takes for somebody to do a photographic spread like that. Because, I mean, if I think about myself in that same age group, I grew up in a very, very religious uh, environment where body shame was the norm. It took me decades to overcome that body shame. And I think the body shame wasn't the only part of my insecurity. It was just one symptom of a deep-rooted series of insecurities that really defined how I've lived my life up until a certain point. For somebody to do Playboy... It doesn't seem on the surface that that same type of insecurity is a component. And when I look at you and I think, okay, I don't know what specifically your accomplishments have been. I know you've, you've had a lot of them. Do you, do you think that that confidence that you brought in to Playboy or possibly developed through doing Playboy has, has played a part in all that? Well, yeah, you know, most definitely, it definitely plays a part. Um, my background leading up to Playboy which is, it's a little interesting because I was kind of different in the sense that I wasn't the girl aspiring to be a Playboy centerfold. I was already, I already had an agent. I had already been doing commercials in LA mm-hmm. and going on, going on auditions. And I had already been doing modeling. And so when I got the call from my agent to go and meet with Playboy, because they were coming out with a new book called the lingerie book. And my first question was, well, is there nudity? And they were like, <laughs> I don't think so. They really, this is for the cover. So I don't think so. And so, you know, I went to the Playboy building thinking I was going to do the, the cover of the lingerie book and never in a million years, <laughs> somebody would have told me you're going to be a centerfold in the Playboy magazine. I would have laughed. <laughs> I would- yeah. Thank you for listening to what I like about you. Please remember to like, follow and share. I was the girl, which they love. I was the girl next door, but I was also a funny girl. I didn't look at myself as sexy, you know, and you you don't know who you are when you're in your 20s. I mean, I talk to women now. They're like, I'm just getting started. I'm Mm -hmm. like, yeah, me too. Like, I feel so much more comfortable in my skin today. Mm -hmm. It'd be a totally different photo shoot. And uh, (laughs) so... So when I went to the building for this audition, they were they gave me a robe and they said, go take everything off. We're going to do a Polaroid. And I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not here for that. I'm here to be on the cover of the lingerie book. And they said, well, we need to see your body. Well, I came out. I had left on my undergarments and the photographer's like, I need to see your body. And I'm like, I'm not here for that. You know, so already I'm difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so. I left there just going, what a joke, you know, like they, they just want to see my body, you know, it was all about me. And and then I get a call that afternoon from Playboy saying, we want you to come in and test to be a centerfold. (laughs) 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 I called my agent. (laughs) And my agent's like, yeah, it's true. They want you to come in and test to be a centerfold. And I said, this has got to be a joke. 
You know, and by the way, guys, I'm kind of a late bloomer because I did not look my age. I think I was 25 at the time. And oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I was 25. You when did not I look very, You did not look 25. You looked very great. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. I was, I was older for the most of those girls were five years younger than me, you know? Yeah. Uh And so I was kind of on the older side. So then I was even more like, are you sure you got the right? (laughs) I think they're confusing me with somebody because I'm just not a Playboy centerfold. Like in my mind, that's, I didn't see myself that way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now that I know the history and I know what Hef is about, I was, I was the girl next door. I was the, I was the approachable, you know, when you see a lot of the centerfolds, they're approachable. Yeah. And that's what was appealing. I think to men, I mean, AC, you can tell me, I mean, it's like playboys, girls were approachable. You felt like they could be your friend. Like you very friendly. Yeah. Well, Uh I mean, as a, as a young guy, I consumed a lot of porn and at that time it was like magazines and like, you know, Playboy wasn't the magazine that a young guy picked up because he wanted to go have some me time, you know? But yeah, there, there's a lot of truth to what you're saying, because I mean, I remember looking at the pictures, I mean, not just of you, the other girls too. And it's like, yeah, you're seeing these naked bodies, but that never really seemed to capture my attention so much as the faces, just the, the general ease of, of of presence i guess yeah the kind of girl that you could see yourself going for a soda with not the kind of girl you want to you know bend over the kitchen table necessarily yeah yeah it's a totally <laughs> yeah. different vibe and i get that and you know it really it, it that's what i think the goal was you know it was you know he wanted especially when we the girls started doing promotions that became really popular in the 80s you know the girls Uh started started getting asked to be on this kind of promotional tour right after you became a playmate Uh and I remember I met with them after the long process of shooting my layout then they send you up to the ninth floor and you meet the promotional department and I remember meeting everybody and I was so excited to meet with them and I said well I have a lot of experience already doing commercials and modeling and you know I'd already kind of had a had a had a bit of a career so Uh they were super excited to work with me because you know most of the girls that come in they come in from all over the world and they don't they don't know they don't have the experience they don't have the experience and they don't really Mm -hmm. know what's what in LA and I'm from LA and Mm -hmm. and I already had an agent and Uh I already had I knew what it was like to go to a casting call Uh so they were excited I and and then Playboy at the time had this cable network called the Playboy Channel Mm -hmm. And um, they started a show called Hot Rocks and I got the first call, you know, do you want to be the VJ for the show? And they brought me in and we did a a test show and boom, I was the VJ for the first, you know, 20, 30 episodes of that, of that show. And, um, you know, that, that was the kind of opportunities that were available to me because I had already kind of established myself but the promotional part of Playboy was having it be the girl next door that it coincided together. You can imagine. So if these yeah. girls showed up, they didn't want just 
this voluptuous, sexy woman to show up. They wanted girls that were approachable and they went, oh my God, you know, those are the Playboy playmates, you know, and yeah. Not They're so fun. much, like, not so friendly. much, a, not yeah. so much a sex pot. Although, of course, that works too. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's always an element of that, but right, yeah, it's definitely but there, more. But it's more of a mystery, you know. It's more mm-hmm. of a. It was more of that. That's how I felt, you know. But then again, you know, it was a different time. Like I said, Playboy when I did when I did it was number one magazine in the world. It was huge, and uh, thank thank you to Donald Trump. Now my issue is a collector's item who knew <laughs> you know who knew that would happen because yeah. because any any of the issues that have a man on the cover because i think have only had four men on the cover of playboy throughout its life wow and it was burt reynolds donald trump jerry seinfeld and i think steve martin and that was okay. it i, didn't I know believe that. i believe that's the history and so so just the fact that Donald Trump was on the cover of my issue and then he became president. Right, hey, right. Thank you. That was very lucky. Yeah. yeah so I get more I get more fan mail today than uh-huh. I did than I did when the issue came out. That's so interesting. Yeah, because yeah, everybody kinda, now everybody wants my my signature. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna kind of ask, like, what did if I were to ask you, what did Playboy do for you? Like, what did you get out of it? How did it change you as a person? Uh, or not change you, but like develop you, I guess. Oh, I don't know if it changed me. I, I would say what really happened for me is mm-hmm. I my audition, you know, the I was going on maybe let's just say I was going on two, three auditions a week. That went to nine, ten auditions a week. Mm. So what wow. it did, what it did was more people wanted to meet me and see mm-hmm. me in person, and all of a sudden more opportunity. I did um, Oprah Winfrey when my issue uh-huh. came out. They had me come on her show. I did the Bob Hope special, which was. Oh, yes. I mean, just what a lifelong <laughs> dream that was, you know, to meet Bob. And and we went we all flew to Acapulco for that and work with Phyllis Diller and 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 Jillian, I think. And um, it was an amazing, cool. amazing experience, you know, that wouldn't have happened. If, mm-hmm. if I hadn't have been in Playboy and um, and then, you know, people I was I met tons of casting directors. And because I was taking acting seriously and I was mm-hmm. involved, I was enrolled in a two year acting program. I think that really helped, too, because now all of a sudden they're like, OK, she looks a certain way and she can act. Uh-huh. So she knows what to do on the set. And that makes a big difference, too, because people don't want to mess around. They want you to show up and know what you're doing. Time is money. Yeah, Time is money. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you That's had mentioned true. having obviously an agent, obviously some level of preparedness for life in the public eye coming yes. into the whole Playboy thing. You'd also mentioned being a little bit older than the, the typical kind of like playgirl or Playboy playmate. How did your level of preparedness and your realm of experience compare to, say, like the average girl that would have been in the same position as you? How did that compare? Yeah. Well, like I said, when when I was kind of put into the audition process, I definitely stood out because I knew what I was doing. I'd already been doing it. Okay, and so you were like the cream girls, of the crop. Yeah, and a <laughs> lot of these a lot of these girls coming in to do Playboy. That's 
that was the dream. They uh-huh. had reached what they set out to do. They they set out to be in Playboy magazine, and and I don't think they thought that they were going to do acting and all of that as well. And so, but because you know, when you do when you do Playboy, those opportunities are available. So I think uh-huh. for me, it just it just all it did was help that I knew knew a little bit about what I was doing, and I had already been in front of casting directors and. Now it's like, oh, she's a Playboy playmate and she can act. Okay, good. Let's, <laughs> yeah. we want to we meet with her. So what did you do like after Playboy? You know, after Playboy, when I really stopped, kind of when I faded out of that time in my life was around 93. I got married in 92 mm-hmm. and right around 93, I just decided that it was, I was married and my life was going in a different direction and I still was auditioning and doing uh, kind of like uh, industrials and commercials. And uh-huh. every once, every once in a while, you know, pilot season, I would go on pilot season and book a uh-huh. pilot and do, you know, do yeah. that kind of work. And then I had kids right away. So I had three children back to back and I would say in 98, 99, I just, the auditioning process and having three kids. Yeah. I just thought there's no way I could even take on a role. Like, how would I memorize my lines? Like how, yeah. you know, when I really, I <laughs> mean, not enough hours in the day when you there's have kids. Just not, and I, you know, and my life was starting to become, I was a full-time mom and mm-hmm. it was like my big day. What at this point was if I got a shower that was yeah. a good, that was a good day. And so it I was thought a great day. Yeah. So there's and no warm way. coffee too. Warm. Yeah. You how know? am I going to, yeah. how am I going to get to an audition <laughs> with this life? And so I kind of just pulled back from, I just told my agents, I think I'm going to take some time mm-hmm. and raise my kids. Mm-hmm. And then in 2003, my ex and I decided to move to Park City, Utah, and we were going to raise our kids in a small environment Mm-hmm. And have them have seasons and walk to school and yeah. take, take the bus and ride their bikes and have that kind of a life instead of being driven everywhere in LA. Yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, so <laughs> so we moved and we had some friends in Park City, so we moved there and started a life there. And while I was there, I ended up doing the the Park City, the local TV, Park City TV. I did the the morning show. It was a two oh, hour, right. okay. two hour unscripted morning show, and we would film like uh, six to eight, and then the show would repeat itself in the morning in Park City. And it, it was a great way for me to get to know people and 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 all of that. And and I have to tell you, that job was probably one of the most favorite jobs I've ever done was just yeah. being live every morning with a co-host talking about current events in Park City what was going on in the world and I had found my purpose like I was like this is what I'm supposed to be doing like I yeah. loved it there was no money <laughs> right you don't care you know what I mean there was no money but yeah, yeah I loved getting up at 4:30 every morning and going mm-hmm. and doing that show that silly show for Park City. And it was like one of the most favorite jobs I've ever had. Yeah. Isn't and it funny? I Those like it. favorite jobs is like my favorite job, I think, was when I worked at a golf course. I think when I was 19. Yeah. 
it was just such an odd job, but I loved it. I loved the physical work. I met all kinds of interesting people, you know, uh, football stars, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on, but I love that. I love that. You just finally found something that you felt natural at and you didn't care about the money. You just, you really enjoyed it. It made you feel fulfilled. That's what podcasting does for me. And I just, when you said that, I was just like, yeah, I know what that's like when you yeah. finally find something. When that's you find just, something that yeah. it just, it clicks and you go, uh-huh. oh my God, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's, and it really made me realize that, you know, all those years of taking commercials and acting mm-hmm. classes and the yeah. modeling and, yep. and all the ups and downs of the yep. entertainment world had led me to this little job in Park City <laughs> doing a morning show that I absolutely loved. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, my God, like, this, I don't want to be an actress. I want to do this. You are listening to What I Like About You. Please remember to like, follow, and share. You know, that's that's really what it came down to. I thought, you know, because I had an agent in Salt Lake and I was going on auditions and doing commercials and industrials in Salt Lake. But doing that morning show, loved. It's kind of funny, you know, like you, you started at the top and ended up by most people's estimation, kind of like at the bottom in showbiz. But at the bottom is where you find the most joy and fulfillment when you had the most fun doing that show. Uh And I love my co-host, Chris Steele. He's still doing stuff today. We stay in touch. As a matter of fact, when he moved to L.A., I I had him sign with my commercial agent in Los Angeles. Like we just stayed friends. I loved him, his wife, his family. And we just totally bonded on that show. Like we we just were like we both felt the same way. Like, how lucky are we? There's no Uh money. But we yeah. are having so much fun and like we'd host the the 4th of July parade, you know, we'd host like these little Just things. Fun that, were that sounds wonderful, though. You take yeah. the money out of the yeah. equation and all of a sudden all there's this good stuff gets to take priority. Absolutely. Instead. Right. Yeah. Right. And it was right. great. I really realized that I, I, I could do a two hour unscripted show. Most people would be like, well, what do you talk about? And I'm like, I don't know. It just kind of comes to you and you have to just be spontaneous. Like <laughs> if things happen, things fall, you, you sneeze, you know, yeah. it's like, and that's just the name of the game that makes it more right. real and more fun. And that's why live shows, I, I didn't think I would like it. And I loved it. It was yeah, we, great. We've done a couple, AC and I have done a couple and yeah, it's, <laughs> we haven't done enough to feel I think super comfortable. Yeah. Oh yeah, now I get awkward with, on like, camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awkward on camera. There's Zoom. There's delay. You know, and yeah. so it's like at one point I think during one of our live shows, she's like, "Shut up!" And, like she didn't realize that there's <laughs> delay. I'm like, "Oh my god." Well, it's stressful yeah. enough. That like is, I feel like I got a happens. face that's made for radio. I don't want to be on camera. <laughs> yeah, when you're like True. Yeah. and you're like, and they're like, "Deb, you're like. on." I'm like, "Oh." Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, funny. so that was really fun. And then, you know, when I got divorced, my uh, you know, I didn't get this huge marriage settlement and financially <laughs> things were not going well. And mm-hmm. so I started to think to myself, okay, I need to get a job. And so I had a friend come to Park City from LA and and my friend was looking for this big real estate investment. Mm -hmm. And so I referred her to a realtor that I knew. And I said to the realtor, if I refer this to you, do I get a referral fee? 
And so she said, in the state of Utah, you have to have your license to get a referral fee. And I said, then you pay for me to get my referral fee license. And I Mm -hmm. will refer this business to you because we, I was helping her find an old building on main street. So it was a big, big deal. And so she said, done, I'll, I'll do that. Cause I didn't have any money to go to the real estate school, whatever. So I went mm-hmm. two weeks in a row. I studied like crazy and um, I got my real estate license and we really worked hard to make this deal happen. And at the end of the day, my friend changed her mind and said she wasn't going to do it at that time. And so then I'm sitting now with my real estate license and I'm thinking, yeah. well, what, what am I going to do with my real estate license? Uh-huh. So what I did, because I didn't want to start my own business, I didn't have time with three kids. So I interviewed with the top three realtors in Park City and met with them and basically said, I think I could be a really good assistant. And, you know, I wanted to be a team member, not do it on my own. Yeah. And so one of the guys that I met with, his name is Rich Fine. And we met, had breakfast. And I was really honest with him. I said, look, I've never worked in an office. I barely know how to use a computer. All I know how to do (laughs) is send emails. Like I wouldn't know how to scan a document. Or I said, I've never been in an office atmosphere. Uh Uh-huh. He's like, well, how are you with people? I said, oh, my God, I'm great with people. And he goes, well, I like the fact that you host the morning show because everybody (laughs) sees you on that. (laughs) He said, so why don't I teach you everything you need to know about working in an office and you take care of my clients? Well, at the time, he had 22 listings. He was a big, big realtor in Park City. And, um, And so... That was the deal. So I met him that weekend at his office. I helped organize his entire office because we kind of shared a space where I sat in front of him. And he taught me how to scan, how to fax, how to do marketing reports to the clients, how to set them up in my email. He showed me everything and I picked it up real quick. And every Monday I would call every single one of his clients. Some of them would say, could you come over? I want to talk to you in person. I'd get in my car and drive over. So I basically became the therapist to all of the clients that we represented. Uh And we had a really good run for about two years. And then 2008 showed up. And the first first thing to crash was the second home market. Yep. Yep. And so I remember that. (laughs) Not a good time for me. I lost everything. Lost. Mm. My kids had to go live with their dad. I had no job, no money. I did not know my, at this point, my, my ex-husband was now living back in California. And I was in Park City with the kids. And it got to the point where friends were bringing over meals because we had no money. Mm. I just couldn't, yeah. you know, it, like, I literally went from making this to this overnight. There were no deals. Yeah. Nobody was buying a house. Right. And I'm in a small town. So mm-hmm. that was our market was the first to go. So I lost it all. And I did not know what I was going to do. And I fell into such a funk. And mm-hmm. I thought, how did I get here? You know, everything, yeah. I, everything was feeling so good. I was starting to feel really good about myself that I had the morning show and I had, you know, I was doing learning and business and real estate and stuff, you know, that I had no idea existed really. I was kind of in my own bubble for many years. And so I sent the kids to go live with their dad. I put everything in storage and went to go live with my mom in Ocala, Florida. 
That's where mm-hmm. she was living. And I didn't want to get out of bed. Yeah. I was in my 40s and I thought life's over. Like, you know, forget it. Like, what's the point? You know, I can't, everything I try to do just falls apart. I just yeah. became this, this really bad self-pity talk and mm-hmm. just spiraling, <laughs> spi- right? Just spiraling yeah. down into like quicksand, you know? And so I'd just be in bed and my mom would come in and say, do you want some breakfast? And I'd be like, no, no. <laughs> and then my mom came in a couple of days later and she's like, can you walk the dog for me? And I was like, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah, get out of the house. Yeah, smart. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So I start mm-hmm. walking the dog, and uh-huh. my mother lived in a fifty-five and over community, uh-huh. you know, Cala, Florida. And I start walking the dog, and people would say hi to me, and I'd be like, "Hi." And so there was this place called the Meeting Place, and it's where everybody gathered because it was a place where the dogs could kind of play and you know, and the neighbors would all talk. And so all of a sudden, now I'm at the meeting place talking to all the neighbors, learning all the dogs names. (laughs) And then every day, I get up, walk the dog, go to the meeting place, I'd come home and report to my mom about all the people in the neighborhood, the the news. (laughs) And you know, they were asking me when I when they'd see me, Deborah must be so great. Your mom must be so happy to have you here. And then they would tell me how their kids don't come to visit. And some of them would tell me about their health issues. And what those people didn't realize is they were saving my life. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't know that. They didn't know that I was suffering. They didn't know that I could barely get out of bed. And I would get up every day with purpose to go and help those people feel better about their lives. Because when I showed up, it brightened the day. They're like, oh, Deborah, you know, because here I am, this young, again, I didn't look my age. So they <laughs> thought I was, you know, Dorothy's young daughter. And I'm going, I yeah. only knew I have, you know, and I'd be like, no, I have three <laughs> kids. And they're like, you can't have three kids. How do you have three kids? Right. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And, you know, and then they wanted to know all about my family and all about my kids. And what they were doing was just giving me momentum, building me back up. And hmm. I, I realized it's not all about you, Deb. Other yeah. people have problems. Their kids don't even come visit. You know, yeah. and when you're in a small town, I was back in a small town in a 55 and over community. And I realized, you know what? I can sit here and feel sorry for myself or I can do something about it. And so I started applying. It was hard because 2008, 2009, nobody was really, you know, yeah. I didn't, and plus I didn't know where I wanted to live. You know, I didn't know where, where am I going now? I'm so so I spent some time in Ocala and I worked on a yacht. If you can believe this, I, this was the hardest job I've ever done in my life. <laughs> I went to Fort Lauderdale. I took the train. Don't ever do that, by the way. Don't <laughs> ever take the train from that. Gainesville or wherever I took it from to Fort Lauderdale. Oh my <laughs> God. I call it the homeless train. It's like, it's so bad. Anyway, so I got on the train. I was scared to death. I go to Fort Lauderdale, I go through the whole training to become a steward on a yacht, which I didn't realize you had to do all this training. And I booked this job right away. Mm -hmm. And I worked on this yacht. It was called Summer Love for three weeks. The hardest work I've ever done in my entire life. On my hands and knees with a toothbrush, scrubbing floors, ironing sheets. I don't think I slept. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, It's like... Everything has to be, everything has to be meticulous. It is. You're trapped on a boat. 
yeah. cleaning for three weeks. I was like, if I iron one more sheet, I'm going to pull my hair up. <laughs> and so I was bruised from head to toe. I got off that ship. My mom picked me up at the airport in Orlando and she's like, oh my God, what happened to you? <laughs> I looked so bad and I was crying and I said, I'm never going to do that again. I mean, it was so bad. I was like, what is happening to my life? You know, oh like God, that's I funny. on that yacht. And I'm yeah. on that yacht. I mean, this is just like, this is what was going on in my I'm life. Like, this is not me. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, you know, and I think I made like $2,700 for three weeks. I mean, <laughs> and by the way, my daughter's calling me, I need a computer. So half of that went to her computer. Oh, right. I mean, you know, this yeah. is how, this is what was going on. Like, so when people look at the success I have now, I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> you just have no idea what I've had to do. I've had to clean toilets to get here. Mm-hmm. And that's literally. Yeah, sure. And so so I went to New York to visit a girlfriend. And I was at a dinner one night. And the gentleman that was sitting next to me took an interest in me because he's like, who are you? Where'd you come from? And I'm like, well, I'm from L.A telling him my whole story, Park City. Now I'm living with my mother in Ocala. I just worked on this yacht. He goes, what? You worked on a boat? I'm like, yeah, I did. He's like, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I was selling real estate. And so now I'm out of a job. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for a job. He said, why don't you come work for me? And I said, well, what do you do? He goes, I own a print company. He was the owner of a print company in New York called Smart Source. And so I said, well, what would I have to do? And he's like, well, business development. He goes, Deborah, it seems to me like you know a lot of people. You open the doors. You can make a lot of commission. And I said, well, tell me who, give me an idea of who you want to get into. By the end of the night, we had a deal that if I set up 10 meetings, he would put me on a draw. And I was like, well, what's a draw? Because mm-hmm. I didn't know what a draw was. Uh-huh. And he's like, that means you'll get money each month that will be taken out of each of your commission checks. And I go, oh, so it's like a IOU type thing? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, then we had to decide what my draw was going to be. So I had an idea in my head how much it would cost for me to live in New York. Uh-huh. And I had an apartment that my friend was letting me stay for two months. And then I would have to start paying rent. And the rent was going to be like 2300 a month or something. Because was, I was living on the Upper East Side. And not a very sm- big apartment, by the way. Just so you, <laughs> everybody gets an idea of where I was living for 2300 a month. It was like one room, you know. Yeah. So, so we went back and forth and we came to a number and we both agreed and I started working for his company and that was in December of 2009 mm-hmm. and I stayed in New York until August the end of August of 2010 mm-hmm. and I opened up a lot of doors and took a lot of meetings while I was working for for that company I had called a friend of mine in LA who my ex-husband and I did our insurance with, our life insurance with. And I had referred him business. And I called him and I said, hey, if I refer you business, can I get a referral fee? And he's like, Deborah, just get your license. He's like, you always refer us really good cases. So why don't you just get your license and then you can have part of the commission? So here I go again. So now on the, weekend, <laughs> on the weekends, while I'm doing the other job, I'm getting my license to sell life insurance. Thank you for listening to What I Like About You. Please remember to like, follow, and share.
While all this is happening, my uh, company in New York bought a company in Irvine. My kids are living in Newport Beach, California with their dad. Mm -hmm. So I said to my boss, I went in his office and I said, hey, could I work out of that office in Irvine? And he's like, I really want you in New York, but if you do that, you know, you have to pay to move yourself. I'm not going to pay to move you there because I want you. Uh-huh. And I said, okay. So I scrounged up the money to move mm-hmm. to where my kids were. Because, uh-huh. you know, at this point, my kids were calling me every day. Please come, yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. come, come get yeah. us. Like, we want to live with you. And, mm-hmm. you know, because they were, they were used to having me in their life. And I said, I'm working on it. So I got back to uh, Newport Beach in August, the end of August of 2010. And my kids started living with me full time again and um, had to do a lot of court back and forth because, you know, the issues with sure. the ex. But at the end of the day, they, they ended up with me and I, st- and I started working for the life insurance full time in 2011, 12 and 13. I was the number one salesperson three years in a row and really built my business to being top 5% in sales for the last 10 years in my industry. And there's not a lot of women also in my industry. So for me, it was one of those things where I really learned quick Uh the business. And because of my entertainment background, Mm -hmm. I had all those connections. Uh And a lot of people in the entertainment world have to have life insurance when they do go on tour, do a show. Mm -hmm. It's required. Mm -hmm. So I made really good connections with the business managers. and, And that's how I built my business was going back now I'm full circle going back. And I remember the first person I called, he used to be the head of Warner brothers. And I called him, he was a friend. And, um, I said, if I get you as a client, I told him what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I said, if I get you as a client, I know that it'll open doors. And I, if I say I have you as a client, people will respect what I'm doing. And he's like, Deb, I already have life insurance. And, you know, I have a guy, I have a guy that does that. And, Uh you know, and I said, well, what if I just do an audit and see if I can lower your premiums? You know, what about that? He's like, no, Deb, I'm good. I'm good. I said, okay, I'll call you next week. He's like, I, I just told you I'm good. And I said, I know, but you know, things change. So I'm just going <laughs> yeah, to so stay in touch. And I called him the following week and I said, look, I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm really serious. This is what I'm doing because I think too, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I really want people to take me seriously that I'm not just this playboy, playmate, right. actress. I am also a businesswoman. And, mm-hmm. and so he, he said to me on the phone, the second time I called him, what do you want me to do? And I said, all I want you to do is email me your policy. And if I can lower your premium, you have no choice. You have to let me do your insurance because I'm saving you money. Right. He sent me the policy couple weeks later, call him back. I go, yeah, I saved you 22% on your premium. He's like, I don't know how you did it. Okay. I'm your client. And, and by the way, on that day, I wrote on my yellow pad in capital letters, no means maybe. And that Mm. became, that became (laughs) whenever anybody would say anything to me, I'd go, that's okay. It means maybe. And they're like, yeah, (laughs) I'm like, no means maybe they'll be back. 
And I just, <laughs> all, that's what I would put out all the time. No means maybe. That's sales. Yeah. And you what did you know? He did. times to really yeah. like, yeah, you got to think about it. Right. And he did refer me business. And you know what he would tell those people? Just do it because she's not going to leave you alone. <laughs> and I'm not even selling myself at this point. He's selling for me. Right. So, you know, you have to, and, and I did it in a way that I, I was adding value, not in a pushy mm-hmm. way. Right. But, you know, if I, and I said, if I'm not walking my talk, then you keep, keep what you have and do what you're doing. But if I can add value and make it better, then please be my client. So I can say that you're my client. And, and that's kind of how I, how I did it. And, you know, lots of great things happened along the way that helped me to continue with my success. I have great mentors. I'm not afraid to call people and ask for business. And I think in sales, that was kind of the thing that I learned was, you know, I had to humble myself because mm-hmm. even though I used to have this little bit of fame, I thought, well, how can I use it to my advantage? Uh-huh. Guess what? Yeah. People are going to pick up the phone. Hey, Deb, how are you doing? Oh, my God, I haven't heard from you. So you take something that you're scared you know, that might be a humbling thing to go and ask for business. And it was, it was super humbling because people, those, a lot of those people that I called knew me as they knew my five minutes of fame or whatever. Uh They knew me as an actress. They knew me as a model. They didn't know me as a business person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the one thing I can say, I may not be the smartest in my business, but I am definitely the follow through person. Nothing. I mean, really, it's very rare that anything slips by me. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm always, you know, if something's going on and it's funny because the people in my office are like, nothing slips under you. You know what I mean? Like nothing (laughs) gets by because I'm always like, hey, where's that? Where's that piece of paper? The data or did we follow up with that? What's going on with that case? You know, Uh and I'm Uh on it. You know, it's like I might not be the smartest as far as, you know, what all the products are. You know, because right, we, right. we have somebody in our office that does just that. Uh-huh. They, be, they become an expert on what the products are that are available. And they come and tell me, Deborah, here's a product that you could sell. It's amazing. And then I have to, and then, you know, in sales, you have to really like what you're selling too. Right. Yeah. And yeah. be a believer in it. So when people would ask me, what do you do? Well, I sell life insurance. But what I really do is. I help prepare people for unexpected life events. Mm. And when Mm -hmm. you say that, people go, what? And I go, yeah, "Yeah." I help people prepare for unexpected life events. We never know. 9-11, who knew? Mm -hmm. Who knew that one day you'd be saying goodbye to somebody and that's the last time you were going to see them? Right. And so that's what I do. I prepare. I have that tough conversation with people when I say, is your family taken care of in the event that something happens to you? Or what if something happens to your wife? You're going to have to hire Mary Poppins. Are you, yeah. are you, are you ready to do that? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, life insurance isn't very sexy as a product, you know, but no. it's like you say, I mean, it, it really does need to be in place and yeah. it does or address concerns yeah. that we don't want to look at, but the I mean, the biggest one, and I, I, this one, I, I love because I've, I've heard these nightmare stories and the one I love is key man. If I'm going into business with you and we're both bringing in about the same amount 
of money, but something happens to you, why would I want to lose half of that income and vice versa? If I'm bring, if we're both bringing into this business mm-hmm. and we don't have key men on each other in the event that something happens, that's a big blow if you lose yeah. your partner. So mm-hmm. I, I talk about that quite a bit, especially when I, when I go and speak to different, you know, you know, I do speaking for small um, investment groups. And I talk about that because I'm like, you know, people go into business together and they don't think about what if. Yeah. You know, what if? And and that could be that could that could take your whole business down mm-hmm. just by mm-hmm. losing your partner. And then sometimes people don't realize that if something happens to your partner, now you're in business with their family. <laughs> Do you want that yeah, to happen? Yeah. <laughs> you don't want right. that to happen. Right. So you want to be really, really careful. And so I've had this conversation with people and they're like, oh, yeah. Like, are they blame yeah, they're like, yeah. like, they just think life insurance is for that guy that's got three little kids at home. And if something happens to him, he wants his family and they take out a little term policy. I go, no, life insurance is, is a great vehicle to build wealth, mm. to keep wealth, you know, in business and partnerships. And if you have an interest in somebody, if you know, then you want to ensure that, you know, if you have a financial interest in something in a business with a partner and it's, there's a lot of dollar, dollars involved, then you may want to have a little insurance to protect it. I'm I'm learning a lot about you from just hearing you talk about selling life insurance. Mm-hmm. Most salespeople will be reasonably successful at, at approaching like basically the, the the three fundamental elements, right? Just need, greed, fear of loss. You're moving beyond that. Like you're comfortably moving beyond that and you're incorporating mm-hmm. it into your whole approach. I think it says a lot about your personality what you see in people and situations you it, you don't sound like a person who's taking a transactional approach to selling mm-hmm. these policies you right. sound like somebody who you're, you're you're helping people you know in the same way like a therapist or a guru might but you're doing it with life insurance which i think is yeah. surprising and beautiful at the same time thank you yeah. thank you yeah. well, i think that's the goal you know is if I am helping somebody, that is the goal, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah, it's, do I like making money? Of course, but it's also a spiritual game, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're playing the spiritual game, because the whole secret to living is giving. So if you're playing in on the spiritual game of it, you know, it's, so here's the deal. So when I started to do really well, and I started to have that that feeling of like, okay, things are going to be okay, you know, and I've always had this fear of managing money and, and uh, what do you do, uh-huh. you know, and all of that, because nobody ever taught me any of that kind of stuff. And I just, you know, I had that fear because of 2008, I never wanted to be in that position again. And I remember I would say out loud to the universe, to God, whatever, whatever you want to call it, I would say, okay, just let me get my kids through school. Mm-hmm. Just let me be able to provide for them. I will ask nothing more. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like to the God of like help wherever <laughs> you are. Just let me never have to go through 2008 again. Yeah. And, you know, you have to be careful what you put in the universe because that happened. I was able to mm. put my kids through school. I was able to 
satisfy the needs of everybody in my family. And, you know, that, that is a very powerful tool. Uh-huh. You know, what we say, what we put out is really, that's what we're, because the universe is always with us. I believe in us. that. No, I really do believe in that. Like through experience, I believe in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would do weird things like, oh yeah, I'm going to get pregnant and have twins. And then I did like, that's just weird and kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, other things like, oh, I'm going to talk about this topic nobody talks about. And then I do it. And then amazing things happen. I meet all kinds of amazing people. And just, yeah, when you breathe things out loud and say, this is what I'm going to do, or this is what's going to happen. You just kind of like sit back and watch and it actually does. But you know, you're busy at the same time. You're not just sitting there like, all right, waiting for everything to just no. fall into my lap. No, no, there's work involved. There's real so work there's, involved. So there's what you're yeah. saying. Uh-huh. And there's the emotional attachment to what you're saying, because your emotion mm. has to match. Mm. And then there's the action. And if you're doing those three things, there's a pretty good chance that things are yeah. going in your direction because you're giving yourself the momentum. You know, mm-hmm. it, people might have laughed at my dog story and walking the dog, but all that was doing was creating momentum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it was giving me a purpose. And if you don't have a purpose, you can't create momentum. Walking the dog yeah. got me out of bed and out of my funk and out of my it gave head. Gave you a purpose. Yeah. And those little things now, I, I keep those things as reminders. Remember when you were walking the dog and life was so simple mm. and you were just being of service. Yeah. And you know, and and so because I had some success with with my business, I was able to adopt a school in Peru and send that school supplies. They had nothing. I went and visited the school. I went to go see Machu Picchu and, and do all that. And while I was there, I went to go visit the school and they needed somebody to adopt them. And I did. And because of my success, I was able to go on a trip with Virgin Unite and meet Richard Branson and look at all of the things that he's involved with. And I was able to donate to those things and to the school in Johannesburg that Taddy Bleacher started that that's all about getting these kids off the street in Johannesburg and getting mm-hmm. them in a school where they can work and pay their tuition and become the success rate of the school. We went to go visit the school and I would never, who would, it's not about just making the money. What is it? That, yeah. What is it what that we can yeah. keep the momentum going? And if it wasn't for the things that I've been able to do, I wouldn't have been able to donate to our rescue, which is where they're going and getting these kids from sex trafficking from all over the world. And mm-hmm. uh, they are, you know, one of one of the best organizations. And I've helped with that. I've helped horses that are going to slaughter mm. that people, you know, horses in our hands. I've been able to donate money to them. And so, you know, it's like that's the secret of the whole successful thing and if somebody would have told me 15 years ago even 10 years ago if somebody would have said Deb here's the deal you're going to have all this success and then you're going to donate to the school in Peru and you're going to go to Africa and you're going to meet Richard Branson and you're going to join Tony Robbins platinum group and you're going to do and I'd be like hold on (laughs) what are you talking about I would never have saw that for myself 10 years ago. And then look what Mm -hmm. happens. It just starts, the momentum starts to happen. And then you realize that 
it's not all about me. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's great to make money. It's great. I've ha- I've had the experience of having a little fame. I've had the experience of having some money. I've had the experience of travel and meeting some fabulous, wonderful people, people that I, I, I thought if I ever meet this person and then I met that person, <laughs> that, you know, the big learning experience from all of that is that I'm adding value mm-hmm. and I'm giving back. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's no price tag for any of that, you know? And yeah, so that was the whole purpose of writing the book during the pandemic is I thought, you know, a lot of people are suffering during this time. I know what it feels like to lose everything. Mm-hmm. And I know what it feels like to feel alone. You know, when yeah. I had to go live with my mother in Ocala and I was too embarrassed to reach out to anybody to say, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm in my forties and I lost everything and I'm living yeah. with my mother, you know, yeah. I, I, it was <laughs> like, I didn't want to talk about that. And I just thought I'm such a, I really, by nature, I'm this really positive force and I had gone so dark and I thought, how did that happen to me? You know, Mm, I'm, I'm known as the optimistic person Mm -hmm. and I went so dark that I had just felt embarrassed to reach out and ask for help. And so that's, what's the purpose of my book is, you know, that, Hey, I'm a late bloomer. My life's just getting started. I'm in my fifties. I'm 57. Mm -hmm. I'm super proud of that. Okay. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, yeah. I mean, I, I know the math There's checks no out, but I'm looking at you. <laughs> Come on. I am. Yeah. I'm 57 <laughs> years old and I'm super proud of that. I feel I pat myself because I think that I've aged really gracefully. That's and, an understatement and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are lovely. <laughs> Thank water you. Drinking. <laughs> yeah. Kagan. Okay. Okay. Kagan water. That. Yeah, yoga and Kagan water. Yes, I like the yoga. And I think yes. you know, I, I, when you keep your life super simple, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and when you, you get, get really, when you get really, yeah, when you get yeah. really in tune with your heart, and you know, and I practice being humble because you know my ego wants to be like, hey, what a great look at this submission. Woo-hoo-hoo. I'm so awesome now. It's like no, Deb. No, you're just, you're just another girl on the bus trying to make, you know, your way. And, and I stay super humble with it. And the ego works when it needs to be there and do its Mm -hmm. job. But if I stay in my heart and stay humble and just keep it simple, really, really great, wonderful things happen. And um, I'm really lucky. I have three amazing children and, you know, they're awesome. And come from that heart space too. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I feel really grateful, you know, even though I never wanted to be divorced, you know, because my parents got divorced when I was 14 and I Mm -hmm. never wanted to be divorced, but you know, all the beautiful lessons and gifts that came out of that, that were Mm -hmm. so traumatic and so hard, Yeah, you know, and it's like any situation like that, I think anybody can relate, Mm -hmm. you know, that finding the gift, finding the beauty, finding the real the real lesson, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. Getting, and, you know, for me, I have this whole new thing now and I it's written big on my board is get curious, you know, cause things go wrong all the time. That's mm-hmm. just the way life is. But if you get really curious about it, you're going to find of, some stuff. It's kind yeah. of fun. You get to yeah. be like a little detective, you know? <laughs> well, Deb, you've 
brought so much to the table today. And you, you talked a lot about momentum. Unfortunately, that momentum has taken us right to the tail end of our time together here, which I hate to say goodbye to you, but we're getting really, really close to that point. But what we like to do at the end of every episode is we sort of all take turns when we all came into this as strangers. Um, I know I had some preconceptions about you, but I've discovered some things that I like about you. And, and that's what we like to kind of share at the tail end here. So, I mean, building on your, your theme of momentum, it's like, I, I look back to 1990. I remember picking up a magazine because there was a girl on the cover who I thought was just the cutest thing ever. <laughs> and I never imagined that however many years later, I'd be sitting here talking to that same girl who has grown up to be just an amazing and inspirational person. I mean, everything about your story is so encouraging because I feel like in my life, I get sucked from one situation into the next. And sometimes it feels like, Hey, I'm on top of the world. And then boom, the bottom drops out of the box. And I'm kind of in one of those emotional places now where I feel like the bottom is about to drop out of my box but your story tells me that hey like hope is is right around the the corner i mean life is full of ups and downs but if you maintain that positive outlook and attitude and and value the things that don't go away in life that you know you're more likely to, to end up in a place where you need to be so thank you for for that deborah Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That was beautiful. It was so beautifully said. And guess what? If the bottom drops out, that just means a big spiritual change is about to happen. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. get ready. It's going to be really beautiful and get real curious. Thank you. One thing I like about you, Deborah, is I think that I would be correct if I'd asked any other person who knows you, seen you, is that you have such a light in you that just I mean, you know, the cliche saying, oh, she brightens up a room. You really do. Mm -hmm. You have this energy and this light within you. And you're just a pleasant person to be around. And I see that that story that you shared about walking the dog. That means a lot to me because, you know, sometimes when you feel like the bottom is going out or when you feel like you've lost your purpose, um, you realize you haven't lost your purpose. Sometimes your purpose just changes at certain times in your life. And sometimes your purpose, you know, the the size of it can change, or at least what we think, you know, sometimes we'll size things up how we see them. But really, it's the little things they matter. And uh, so your story, I don't know, I just really appreciate you sharing that. You have so much drive, so much energy. I think it's insane that you still do this. I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, get out of bed, manage these interviews and everything like that. I just, I mean, doing everything that you do, I mean, it's just crazy to me, but I, I really look up to you as a person. Um, I value what you bring to the table. I value that you kind of merge your appreciation for life and also you know, figuring out how to weave in all those materialistic things that are just kind of floating around in our world and just applying it to uh, circumstance. And I think that that's very creative and very tactful. And I think that's something that's just really brilliant about you. So wow. thank you thank for coming you. on the show, Deborah. Thank you so much. You too, both of you. What beautiful words to end with. Thank you. I'm filled with so much 
so much gratitude. Seriously, thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show and tell my story and giving me this opportunity. Thank you. Okay, You're Deborah, welcome, if Deborah. somebody <laughs> wants to get in touch with you or your work, what's the best way to go about that? The best way right now is to follow me on Instagram, and it's my name, Deborah Driggs, D R I G G S. Um, I will be posting everything photos from the past, photos from the future, all the shows that I'm being interviewed on. And soon my website will be linked to my Instagram account. So everybody can go to my website and my website should be up and running in about two weeks. Okay. Well, that should coincide pretty well with the release date of this episode. So we'll stay in touch with you and make sure that we get links to include in the show notes for this episode. Wonderful. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome, Deborah. Thank you.